Welcome to the Dreamcast Podcast. My name is Daniel Bozinski, and my goal is to help you find purpose and become the greatest version of yourself. Every week, our promise is to deliver one-of-a-kind stories of individuals who are pioneering purpose in their life. These are people I personally would have loved to have as mentors and leaders in my life in the past, and now they're right here at our fingertips. The Dreamcast guests are willing to be authentic, genuine, and human about their struggles and success. To me, purpose is priceless. And if you're looking to make an investment into your life yourself, I believe you've come to the right place. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's get started. Well, welcome back to the Dreamcast. So excited for you to be tuning into this week's episode. We have a very special guest here. Uh, You know, I think that every single time when we bring a new guest on the show, we're trying to find people in different niches, different markets, different industries with different backgrounds. And today we have someone that's wildly been educated and been approved, not just by different schools, by individuals, leaders, thought leaders all around the world. And so today's guest is an astounding academic who specializes in the field of constitutional law and politics. Formerly the Dean of UC Berkeley School of Law, he was the first person of Indian origin to be named Dean of a top U.S. law school. He's also a notable lawyer, educator, and author who graduated from Harvard Law School and was a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford. In addition to receiving several awards and fellowships, including the Practitioner of the Year Award from the South Asian Bar Association, the Trudeau Foundation Fellowship for his work in post-conflict constitutional law, and the Williams Taylor Memorial Fellowship, our guest today has published over 90 articles, book chapters, working papers, and reports. He's also currently holding the position for the Heyman Professor, UC Berkeley, and lives with his wife and two children in California. Sajit Chowdhury, welcome to the Dreamcast. Thanks, Dan. It's really wonderful to be here. Man, I'm really excited for you to kind of share your wisdom and thoughts with us. I mean, we've got Oxford, we've got UC Berkeley, we've got Harvard Law School. I mean, even just our pre-conversation, you have done so much in constitutional law all around the world. Give us a little background on how you got to where you are today. You know, it's um, everything in life is by accident, I think. Um, and even though people might say, oh, I had a plan, um, you know, the, it only looks like a plan in retrospect when you look back, but really at the time, um, it's about opportunities arising that are unexpected and uh, and just taking risk and um, grabbing those opportunities or, you know, um, having kind of luck happen to you. So, so basically, you know, the way I got into this business uh, is that, um, you know, I was a student, I'm Canadian, and I was a, an undergraduate student at McGill University in Montreal um, in the late 80s and early 90s. And uh, I studied biology. And I was going to do go to medical school, and uh, and then uh, at that time uh, in uh, Canadian politics, uh, one of the the very big questions was uh, what should the relationship be of Quebec, which is a province with a French speaking majority, uh, to the rest of Canada uh, that has. Um, uh, an English-speaking majority, and and that's one of the great questions of, of Canadian politics. It has been um, for well over a century and a half, and uh, and it, it it reared its head again. And so, even though I was studying biology, you know, I couldn't help but get immersed in uh, questions of constitutional politics while I was at McGill, and I was fascinated by it. And 
And, and so then um, I got a Rhodes Scholarship to go to Oxford. And uh, someone, a mentor who uh, who really, um, you know, who um, whom I respected a lot and who I'm still in touch with, um, said, you know, he had studied law at Oxford. And, uh, and he said, you know, you really should take the opportunity provided by this full scholarship to Oxford uh, to study the law there. And, and I'd never thought about that. Hmm. And so I said, you know, sounds like a good idea. And, and so I went to Oxford and I, and I, and I studied law and, and I, I loved it and it really took to it. And then I came back to, um, to Canada, to, to the University of Toronto, and, uh, because I wanted to um, uh, obtain some Canadian legal training so I could um, be qualified to practice in, in Canada because that's my home or was my home. And, uh, and then I went to um, Harvard Law School um, for uh, graduate school. And, and so, you know, uh, and, I, and, so, and then I worked in South Africa uh, in a summer uh, in between uh, Toronto and Harvard, um, working on uh, the, um, the adoption of the 1996 post-apartheid um, constitution. And so sort of by accident, in a way, by my uh, late 20s, uh, I'd studied law in three different jurisdictions. Oh, my gosh. Uh, with three different uh, constitutional traditions. And it also worked in South Africa. And, uh, and, it, and so what sort of started to happen is that as I went from uh, – university to university and worked in different countries, um, I began to compare uh, how things were done in the States compared to how things were done in South Africa or how things were done in the United Kingdom relative to how they were done in Canada. And and so I then went into full-time um, academe in the late 90s, and uh, I started to write on this topic of comparative constitutional law. And, uh, and when I was um, writing on this, uh, this, writing in this field back then, um, you know, there were, um, you know, a, a handful of people who were, um, who were devoting a lot of time and attention to it. And, uh, and the field has um, absolutely exploded. I was going to say, I've really never, I mean, when you say you studied law, I think most people kind of go to one thing, right? That traditional lawyer yeah. sitting in a, in yeah. a law office and then going into the court and, and yeah. what you're doing, was it pretty disruptive as far as, I mean, what you're doing, you know, I feel like even from your company is pretty disruptive. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, it was very, look, it's, I have a pretty unusual background because I have worked, look, I was born in India, grew up in Canada, hold law degrees from the UK, Canada, United States, worked in South Africa. Oh my uh, gosh. All before, my, all before, all before I began um, my full-time career, you know? And so it was a, uh, it, yeah, I guess it is a very different set of it's a very different set of life experiences and backgrounds that I've had. And I don't think I could do what I do if I didn't, if I hadn't kind of become that type of person, you know, yeah. so it was disruptive. And, uh, and, and what's been great about it is that it's positioned me for future success because I've always had to learn new things really quickly and always had to be open to and new experiences. it's always changing, right? It's, it's always, always changing. changing. And you always have to be, and one of the things about this field um, is that you have to be, super um modest 
about what you know, what you don't know, because when you arrive to a new country, you know, it's not your country. Uh, it's not your constitutional process. It, 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 the constitution of a country belongs to its people. And you have to listen and learn and watch and support them uh, in wow. whatever way you can. It's, and, and, uh, and having traveled so much and, and studied so much in different places, I, I began to realize very quickly that just because you know America does things one way doesn't mean that's the only way or the right way. Right. And and that's the beginning of um, that humility is the right. beginning of success, right? Because yeah. you got to listen to people and on the ground and see what they need and what they want, and they know what they need. Uh, they might not be highly educated. They might not be legal experts. They might not use all the technical language. But if you listen really hard and watch and 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 spend time with people, you know what they need. Well, there's different rules, right, that go into play. Like I was even, I mean, even our conversation of you doing a lot of things in India, that that's a kingdom that's been around for literally thousands of years. I mean, all of the, I mean, I can only imagine how much you have to learn to understand how to fit into that role Tell them what you do on a, on a company level. Like you go into these countries, tell them what you do practically while you're there. So basically there's a couple things we do that are pretty innovative. So the first thing we do is, um, so, so, you know, in all, you know, the, the process of writing and implementing constitutions is now a really global um, process in the sense that when you're drafting the constitution in Nepal or Sri Lanka or, um, or Jordan or um, Ukraine, you're looking at ideas from around the world and you're looking for models. You want to know what happened in Chile. You want to know what happened in Brazil. You want to know what happened in Argentina. You want to know what happened in Germany after the Second World War. You want to know what happened in South Africa. And so what we do is we're the knowledge partner for um, for other organizations um, who work on the ground giving advice to these processes. So what we do is we mobilize and we generate uh, information uh, and research uh, in a way that can be uh, used by uh, by advisors and decision makers and citizens on the ground. So I'll give you an example. Uh, that's a very abstract idea. I'll give you a concrete example. So um, when I first started in uh, this this uh, the Center for Constitutional Transitions in in, in 2011, I uh, the Arab Spring had just happened, right? And so I had never worked in the Middle East, uh, but it seemed like the right place to start. And so I um, booked uh, an airline ticket to, um, you know, to Cairo. And I uh, spent three weeks in the region, wow. in, in Cairo, in Istanbul, in Beirut, uh, in, uh, in Abu Dhabi, uh, networking, you know? And I didn't know a single person when I got there. You no know? way. That is so cool. And, and I, I just started knocking on doors and emailing and phoning and leveraging one contact into another and another and another. And I said to them, listen, I'm starting this new um, center that's going to be a knowledge partner for uh, constitutional processes. Um, is there a market for that service? And uh, and what types of issues should we be working on? And they uh, said, 
Yes, there is. Uh, and the, the key thing is that you always have to listen to what is needed in the field and you can't preach or proselytize, you know, you're not selling, selling snake oil, right? Right. You're providing information in an impartial, objective way. And as long as you don't try to be pres overly prescriptive and tell us what to do, we're, we're very curious to know what's going on in the rest of the world, right? And yeah. so what I learned from that experience is that you have to work with local organizations that have credibility on the ground and have networks in order to make your, um, or your work have real impact and relevance. And so there's this, so at, at the very end of this three-week trip, I, had, I, I finally met up with someone who's become a very close friend, who is this amazing guy, who is um, Iraqi, who, um, you know, he grew up in Iraq, and then he grew up in the States. His dad was an Iraqi diplomat, and then his father became a political refugee because he, uh, he, um, he resigned from the Iraqi diplomatic service in opposition to Saddam Hussein. And the family wow. lived on the road as political refugees for many years and they ended up they were expelled from the united states at one point and they um, ended up in the united kingdom and then this and this friend of mine got law degrees from um you know um, king's college london the sorbonne and harvard law school so we, you know we're kind of kindred spirits in that way you know yep. and then he, and then basically what happened is after the um uh, after the invasion of Iraq and the overthrow of, throw of Saddam, he'd been practicing commercial law arbitration in Paris, and he went back to the Middle East, and he became um, really one of the leading experts on constitutional law in the Middle East, you know, and he speaks four languages, and he's extraordinary. And he and I sat down and had this dinner in Beirut, and I said, um, listen, I've got this, uh, I teach at NYU, and I've got this team of students will work for you doing whatever research you want but i need you to work with me to be my partner to be my client and to bring your organization to be our first client organization and uh to have kind of a a relationship of mutual trust and to just let us try to figure out how this relationship is going to work and how my center is going to work and he said i'm in wow that's great and and and, and, and you know uh, so that was in you know November of 2011, and it's now um, April of 2017, right? Yep. And uh, and and that dinner has blossomed into a a, a, a huge range of relationships um, with them. That you know we've done work together in Tunisia, Egypt, Libya, um, you know globally, Sri Lanka. Wow. Uh, you know, I've had dozens of students work for him in the region, back, in New York. Um, you know, it's been an extraordinary run, you know, but uh, and we're still doing things together. We're still working together. Wow. So tell me this. This is, the, this is what blows my mind. You're working in all these nations. Tell me about internationally, having an international business like that, right, where you don't necessarily have, you know, you're not like this distribution center like HP or Amazon that they've got all these, you know, th all, tens of thousands of people working to figure it all out. I mean, yeah. getting checks written from all these places and just the international law. Thank God you're a lawyer and you have all this <laughs> information on how that, um, how money flows and everything. Is that a complicated process, though? You know, like, it's it, it's a very good question, and and so the, maybe I, I might back up by explaining our HR model. You know. 
And that will, will then, um, and how we partner with other organizations, and that will then kind of give some context for how we, we handle those logistical issues. Yep. And so basically our HR model is that we have a very small core um, group of experts uh, and who are in a way all freelancers, you know, yep. and work with us on a project by project basis. And then right. we recruit for each project additional experts who are our consultants and uh, and we then uh, pay them for their work uh, with honoraria, and and what I've done is um, I have in a sense I always partner with a large field organization that has a huge kind of infrastructure for payroll, HR, finance, yep, and uh, and that has a global presence. And 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 what we we always what we do is. They will provide a lot of that back office infrastructure to handle Incredible. all these issues, you know. Yep. So I leverage their infrastructure to handle all those logistics, and so we can focus on content. Man, that's great! And, so you can specialize and, and, in what you're the best at. Yeah, and we don't have to build up a huge shop to handle all those other issues. And when we do, you know, we've been based at different universities. You know, we've been uh, we, we we began at New York University and and now we're at UC Berkeley. And so, the the university um, ecosystem uh, provides us with a platform and resources uh, that um, that enable us to get that work done when we need to. So, let me let me can I backtrack a little bit too? I gotta say, you know, as a young kid. Did you ever imagine you were going to be going to some of the most significantly recognized forward-thinking universities in the world? Harvard, Oxford, you were, uh, you know, Berkeley, you've got all the, did you imagine that? And then you were even in the colleges you went for Canada and Europe. I mean, it's like, did you imagine you were going to be doing that? No, you know, I, I didn't. I mean, I, um, you know, I, I, I did know, so my parents were both uh, professors and uh, and so my my brother also became a professor, and so higher education was a family business. Um, and so I always knew that I wanted to be uh, an academic. And but I really didn't know, you know, where I would study, or quite frankly, what I would study. You know, I, you know, like most people, I I had a lot of different interests in high school and even in university. You know, I thought I might want to be an engineer or a doctor or um, you know, even an archaeologist at one point. And, uh, and, 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 you know, just things happen. You know, you work hard and you apply and you get um, into the best schools you can. And then you work hard and apply and you keep on grabbing opportunities as they come up. And it, right. and it just opens your eyes, you know. And, and one of you know, the best thing, about studying at these great universities, and, I, and I'm a graduate of four different universities, um, is and I've I've worked at or or, or been a student at six universities, uh, is that you um, you meet amazing people, and um, who are doing amazing things, and they give you new ideas about what to do or how to do what you're doing, and you develop these great relationships, you know. Um, like universities are at their best, like incubators, you know, Yeah. where like there are that. a lot of people running startups, running startups, you know, 
and you're all in this shared space and uh, and you meet up over coffee and over lunch and and workshops and seminars and uh, and everyone is talking about what they're doing and they're so into it and they're so excited and uh, and and then magic happens you know so I've got like two great questions for you. The one will play into the the next one. This one will play into the next one. But like one of the red threads that I constantly hear in your life is, is you know, I've got individuals that are in the baby boomer generation and it seems as though they've bought into this. And I'm going to use certain words that maybe don't purely and perfectly depict it, but they buy into the lie of retirement, right? And so to me, the lie of retirement is that you stop reinventing yourself, you sit on your porch, you get iced tea and lemonade every day for four hours, and you just kind of watch people drive by. And it's, you finally get to relax. And, and people get there and they realize, well, man, that's a lie. Like, there's no joy in that. There's no fun in that. And I'd say the red thread in your life, even from you saying stuff in the beginning, it, that you constantly wanted to learn and reinvent, and even what you just talked about from a college perspective you didn't talk about it from a graduation get your piece of paper you talked about it from a networking but having actually relational thing but where is this red thread come from which to me for you is all about reinventing yourself like you, know, you continue to do it it blows my mind well you know it's funny it's um i have a motto you know or um which is that you know uh, your career should surprise you you know, that is when, you, you know, you should wake up 10 years from now and be amazed at what you're doing, you know, <laughs> like, like if you'd asked me, um, so 10 years ago, I was uh, in Toronto, at the University of Toronto, where I was extremely happy. Um, we had a wonderful life. We had a beautiful house. That was just house. 10 years ago? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, we had, you know, we had a, we had a wonderful house, um, a beautiful life. Um, two wonderful children, one, one, one kid and one on the way and right. a second on the way. And, uh, and we were happy and successful and, uh, and, uh, but you know, opportunity came knocking <laughs> and, 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 and we sat down and my, my wife and I said, you know, um, if we don't do this now, we'll never do it. Hmm. Right. And uh, and let's just push ourselves. And so we just started again. You know, we moved to the states. We had no credit history. Um, we left everything we knew behind. Um, we sold our house. We moved our kids. Even getting a driver's license was hard. You that's know, risky, right? Like that's risky. Like you talked about earlier. It, it, it opened up. You know, um, moving to New York uh, in 2011. Uh, opened up global opportunities for us in, in a way that we could have never imagined for both me and my wife. You know, my, my wife has a very successful career as, uh, as an attorney in, in private practice. Uh, and, uh, and I do this global work and, and, uh, and we would have never been able to do that as e as easily uh, had we uh, from Toronto, had we not moved to New York and, and then and then when we got the opportunity to come to Berkeley, uh, you know, we said, well, let's go to California. And we picked up and moved again, you know. And that's not uh, easy. And, and not easy. You know, we kind of, you know, packed up our home, our home in New York and we picked up and moved again. And again, it's been, um, a, you know, it's been um, wonderful in ways that we could have never anticipated. You know, so California is where change is happening. You know, it's where the future is today. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's a very exciting, it's the most diverse state in the nation. You know, it's on the, it's on the Asia Pacific. Yep. You know, so this is, I want to, I want to, before I play into my next question, I want to kind of do a little bridge question because to me, you talked about really your, and I love what you said, your life should surprise you 10 years from now. So you can have an expectation, but it should supersede that expectation. And you, and I love what you talk about kind of letting opportunity draw you. Uh, but, yeah. you know, let's just say someone's listening in right now. It doesn't matter what their age is, but they don't feel like they have opportunity coming their way. And they don't, I mean, they don't necessarily have a drive for this change or taking risk. Yet, I mean, with all of that said, people in those situations are usually not satisfied with the results that they're seeing. Can you speak directly to those people on like what they can do right now to kind of like jumpstart their life, their purpose? Yeah. You know, so, you know, from look, it, the answer is going to be different for every person. I can just tell you what was what's worked for me, you know. Yep. Um, and and uh, and for my for my my wife, my brother, you know, people who are close to me, um, you know, we're all passionate about something, right? And uh, we want to be the best we can be at that. And we uh, we we and and it's not something that we knew necessarily existed before we started doing it. So, you know, I, I didn't know that this field existed before I started studying law, right? Mm. I just thought I'd go to law school. Yeah. But this idea of being a comparative constitutional lawyer, that's something I just discovered in law school, right? And and then I started reading more and more and I got more and more passionate. And then I started grabbing every little opportunity I could to get experience to get to network to meet people to learn more and more and more and and then every step built on the on the last one you know and i i i was worried you know as everyone needs to be i was worried about you know having a, a well-paying job and a career and having financial yep. security but i've achieved all of that by being passionate about what i do and doing things that no one else has done, you know? So this organization I've, I've started, we're, we're the first entity in the world that does what I do. Right. And it hadn't been done before. Man, that's so cool. And, 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 and it was just an idea. And I said, let's just go for it. And let's just try it and go for it. And it's worked. Right. Well, and even on our first call, like I immediately, when you started explaining, I'm like, man, I've never heard anything like this before. And so to me, you're just telling people to go get passionate about something that to, to, you know, get up off the couch or whatever that means and just kind of go figure out how to be disruptive in, in their industry area or their passion area. That's amazing. Yeah. And just be different. And my mentors have been people like that. You know, they have, um, they've taken great institutions and have made them amazing institutions. They have, um, and they've done that by building on what's come before, but but not being afraid to try new things, right. and being right. dynamic and innovative, and and not everything. You can't be afraid of failure, right? You know, yeah. like um, no, you know, no risk, no reward. But you know, um, if you take risk, it's you know, you will fail <laughs> at some point, yeah. and. And, and and you can't look at those failures and say, that's it, I'm out of the risk game, right? So t talk to me about commitment, though, because I feel like you've got some maybe thoughts on commitment because it takes commitment and dedication when you fail. And and I feel like you've got, yeah, what do you, what do you think about the area of commitment? Because you have people working for you that like... Uh, yeah, well, you know, the, for me, look, everyone needs a support network, you know? 
And so, uh, and so there's a few different elements to my, and, and that support network gets you through uh, difficult times and through failure. And so mm-hmm. I have, um, you know, my, my family is number one, my wife and my children are the most important thing to me in the world. You know, there's nothing more important than them and their well-being and their safety. And, uh, and, and, and that's always my hearth, you know, a uh, home is home. And, uh, and that's always been a huge source of resilience and support for me when I've had setbacks, right? No one can take that away from me. That's good. Um, secondly, you know, no one can take away my family. You know, we're, my wife and I are both, um, of Indian background and we have a very large extended family, um, across the States and Canada, um, multi-generational and, um, and we see them often. Um, we, uh, we get together all the time and now with all of our children, we get them all together. And that is a very important source of strength. No one can take your family away from you ever. It's great. And they will always be with you, um, in thick and thin, um, good or bad, uh, cause family's family. That's right. And then I have a group of, um, professional peers, um, who have become some of my closest friends who I've worked with um, on many projects, travel with around the world. Um, I know their families, they know my families. And, and what I've learned is that if you um, act with integrity, if you um, always meet your commitments to other people, um, if you do the best work that you can do for them, uh, if you're always there for them, um, when uh, you have moments where you need them and call upon, they will be there for you. That's really good. Uh, and, and and if and if people aren't there for you uh, when you've done that for them, then uh, then you learn about who you know who, who's it's worth, it's worth spending time with. You know, the relationships and, can define. Yeah, they do. And you know, it's interesting. Like I, you know, it's important to get your brand out there. It's important to know lots of people. Um, and have a broad network, uh, and to always meet new people and build new relationships. But you, you have to have a base, you know, mm-hmm. and keep that base and nourish it and sustain it, and never take it for granted, you know. That's good. That's really good. Because uh, those people will always be with you when you need them. And so, how do you do that? And, Just giving and them time. Be there for them, right. That is, when they drop everything for you and help you, you must always do that for them. Yeah, and that's how you build up this, um, like an extended family of support. So how do you do that? You just kind of—it's—is it time spent? Is it? It's time spent. It's time spent, and um, and you know, being um, not just a great professional, and a great expert, being being a great person, you know, and you know, I I really I love breaking bread with people. I love sitting around and having a, a glass of wine or going to a bar or having a great dinner, you know, when, when we're out in the field doing work. And uh, and then friends are always uh, coming through the bay and uh, they often stay with us and they know my wife and kids very well, you know. Um, well, it all started with that great relationship for you. It started with that one first person that you went out and met them and it's like... Yeah, I, I, and I do the same. I visit them and their families. I know their I know their spouses, um, you know their husbands and their wives, their, their partners, and I know their children. And I keep in touch and I care about them. And uh, and that's community. You know, you need yeah. community. 
So, and it doesn't have to be local. You know, the, these folks are all over the world, you know. Right. But through the magic of the Internet, I sound so old when I say that, you know. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, Skype uh, and WhatsApp uh, are amazing tools, you know, to have very close connections with people who are half a world away. You know, your community is as big as you let it be. Like I'm talking every day with people in different nations, and it's just like it's just because of the Internet, right? Yeah, and, and email is really formal. I love chatting and I love doing Skype. Yeah, it's like I do feel like at the end of the day when I send an email, it's just so much less personal than I want it to be. Yeah, it is, and it takes so long to do. It's just much better sometimes to do a quick Skype call or <laughs> or send, send, send a quick text, you know? It's so true. So tell me this. I want to know, how do you how do you find purpose in what you do? You know, you do what you do and, and any job, you know, some people are like, well, just do what you do and do what you love and you'll, you know, you'll never work a day in your life. But what you do is hard work, right? So how do you find purpose and daily motivation in what you do? Well, because if you look over or all around the world, um, there are always countries um, that are rewriting their constitutions. There are countries adopting new constitutions. There are countries that are amending their constitutions. And, and, and particularly at this moment in uh, human history, uh, constitutional democracy is under stress uh, th- across the world, um, in, in Europe, in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, and in North America. And what I do and what mo- my colleagues do has never been more relevant or important practically. You know, there's there's never been a time when what we write about and do research on and teach our students about has been more relevant to the world around me. Yeah. And and, and so we have to engage in this world, not just as experts or as teachers, but as citizens. Uh, yeah. and, and, and to jump in with both feet and to be brave. So you find and, purpose by legitimately changing how nations operate, right? Absolutely. And, and working with people. I mean, I, 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 you know, I, everyone's a change agent, right? Yeah. Uh, and everyone's a member of a team. No one person drives politics. Right. No one person can change what a country do does on his or her own. Together they can, right? And you have to have that to understand your role. That's good. Understanding your role. I like that a lot. I think you're that's a member super of key. Team. You know, you're you're not you're not it's not all about you. Right. You're not the only one with a good idea. That's like No, it's you're not super... the smartest guy in the room and nor can you do everything. Right. Right. But you have and to bring I... what you have to bring your trade and your skill set and your passion to the table right. and, and right. recognize that everyone else at the table has a skill set and a passion and brings something else that you don't have and you never could have. And together you build something that is vastly more um, significant than anything you could do on your own. It's so true. I was just meeting with my team yesterday. I told them, and it's something I can't remember, maybe you said it to me or someone else said it to me, but no man's an island. You know, it's like people kind of look at what I've done and say, oh, look, he's got this purpose workbook and this purpose program and he does it in schools and companies. Oh, he's so amazing. It's like, no, like I 
did such a small part of that in the sense of like the greater effort of the team and the years of people that have spoken in my life and the mentors and the the business leaders and the educational leaders. It's so cool that you're saying that. I just was meeting with my team yesterday, just thanking them for them getting into their roles and, you know, stewarding their gift and their talent and their skills because we wouldn't be here today without them. And you have to learn from them. You know, I, you know, I have always learned so much from my team members. Um, They've taught me so much. And, uh, and even if you are someone's formal supervisor, you should never um, be above them. You know, you should um, listen to them, learn from them. That's purposeful leadership right there. Yeah. And you should, you should hire people um, uh, or or recruit people to work with you who compliment you who do things you can't do, who have skills and, uh, and talents that you lack. Right. Uh, but, but, and so together you can be, um, greater than the sum of your parts. So that kind of like, so I guess to kind of, that brings me to one of my next questions too, is, yeah, you know, you have, you're, you're a thought leader. You are someone that's advocating change worldwide. You're, you're well diversed in your relational connections and the news you're hearing about and the you know the, the things that you learn about on a on a global scale i want to get your perspective I, you know you know we're launching and we have all this great purpose content curriculum workbooks school and tribe what is your what are you hearing around the the sense and idea of purpose purpose for people's lives in their school and in their jobs like what what would you say about that word and people kind of embracing that and, and worldwide? What's what's being talked about in that capacity? I, I, you know, I think that um, success belongs to those who seize opportunities. You know, and you should all you should be always critically thinking uh, in your career. Am I doing what I want to do? Am I doing as good a job as I can do? And um, Am I feeling satisfied? And, 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 and if the answer to one or more of those questions is no, then you need to um, say, I can do better. Yeah. And what do I want to achieve? And then uh, what can I, how can I build toward that success? Uh, one step at a time in a very concrete way. And t- to not get discouraged um, or disheartened by the fact that you might have a lofty goal or ambition, uh, but the steps to get there might seem pretty small, right? Right. Um, it's a long journey. You know, it's a long journey. And, and, and along the way, uh, new pathways will open up that you would never anticipate it. So you shouldn't have tunnel vision. You know, you need to be, you need to be goal-directed. You need to drive towards a purpose. But you also need to be open to change. You're you're defining purpose right now. That's what I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Being open to change, but having a purpose. I mean, that's like that's not easy though for most people. And most people haven't been necessarily taught that, right? So where no. I mean, you, you learn it by living, you know, um, yeah. and having great role models and mentors and and working, um, you know, at organizations that encourage that. And and quite frankly. For me, you know, education has been transformative, right? That is, I have just met um, people, uh, professors, um, fellow students. I've been exposed to ideas and experiences to just change my life. Right. 
So quite simply, it's like being open and willing all of your life to continue to learn. That's what it is. Making an investment in yourself. No, it's, it's so key. Okay. So I want to ask you this question. We, uh, this is the last question here for the Dreamcast. We like to ask it. I mean, to me, it's like, if you go back to your 18 year old self and give him advice, I mean, what would you tell him? Um, life is an adventure. Um, there is no plan. Uh, okay. If you're um, if you're feeling uh, comfortable and happy, uh, maybe it's time to make a change. Hmm. Uh, you hmm. should um, sometimes uh, take risk, uh, and you cannot always foresee what that what will happen if you take that risk. And you shouldn't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone. And, and sometimes so you should be way out of your comfort zone. <laughs> uh, but 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 if you do that enough times, amazing things can happen. They won't necessarily happen. It's good. Uh, you won't necessarily um, achieve your dream, but amazing things will happen. It's so good. And you have to keep so on good. believing. Well, Sajid, thank you for being on the Dreamcast. I mean, that last answer, even that, I mean, that's like super inspirational. So thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule and day and just making an investment. I mean, I'm, I feel like I learned so much from you already and just this show. So thanks for taking time. Well, Dan, it's been wonderful spending time with you. And I, um, I really appreciate it. You take care. So you just listened to Sajid. He is an expert and thought leader in constitutional law globally. He's being not just disruptive, but he's open-minded to the possibilities of what the next generation of law looks like or leaders look like globally. So thankful for his investment into his life and to people all around him. And again, just kind of taking his bit of advice, change things up, take some risk in your life. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you already are showing signs that you want to live your dream. You want to live your purpose. And if there's anything that we can do to help, if it's the purpose workbook, if you can pick that up and we can help you create the plan. And I love what Sujit said. There is no plan, but I mean, even taking the next step and just being open to have one shows that you understand that your life is going to be so much greater than you can imagine it to be. So start imagining bigger than you are currently. Thanks so much for taking time to invest in yourself. We'll see you next week.